Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "The Two Kings and the Two Labyrinths" by Jorge Luis Borges. We're reading it from a translation by Donald A. Yates. I've I've read a lot of his translations before. Um, this was in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, April 1962. And uh, you were mentioning that it was, uh, you have it in the Aleph, which is one of, I think, two major collections of Borges's short fiction, which is pretty much all of his writing, except for, I guess, his essays and his poems. I don't you think mean he, in English. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think it's called the Aleph in, in Spanish as well. And then it there's fictions. but... Right. Well, Ficciones is uh, another one, uh, but Labyrinths in Labyrinths, English right. collects stories from both of those and other stuff as well. In Spanish, they came out in smaller editions, but in English, you can get pretty much m- most of his most famous stories in Labyrinths and El Aleph. Yeah. So here's <laughs> it's a serious problem for me. Uh, Borges always comes to me through translation, and it usually works incredibly well, so that's not the issue for me. The issue for me is Borges is so playful, and we've got this uh, problem of of the original translation to take it from. Sometimes it's hard to find out where and when and how something was first conceived, uh, and I think context matters, so... Um, I read a lot of criticism in English about this story, and I, I think most of it's terrible. Um, some of it points to interesting things, um, and and a lot of that has to do with their reading it in the context of a whole book of other Borges. But I think if we just look at it on its own and mention um, some of the meta details about, about it, it works on its own. Um, I think that that will be a better way to analyze it than to say why he placed it in a certain, you know, position in in the book that we're not reading it from. So, um, a couple of meta details. Uh, The version we have has a a sentence missing. Um, Presumably Donald A. Yates uh, left that out. I think I understand why he left it out, Um, but we'll get to that. It's right at the end. And then... um, we have a little question as to where it was first published in Spanish. Um, presumably it was in a magazine in June of 1939 from Buenos Aires. Um, we also have a date of 1946. It was in, I think, 52 in the Aleph. Um, so that all being said, we're oh, reading it. I'm sorry, yep. I thought El Aleph was 49. Could be. Could be. I was looking at it on ISFDB a minute ago. I can dig that up. Uh, LLF is 52 in um, Spanish, so I presume that's the first publication. That could be wrong, too. (laughs) The problem is is there's a lot of false attribution, not just by sloppy uh, people on the Internet, but also by Borges. One thing I do believe about its first publication, um, because it fits with what I know about Borges, is that he attributes it not to himself, but to R.F. Burton. Um, 
RF standing for Richard Francis. And I believe it also has a, uh, a prefix, history, or historia dos, uh, historia de los doyos, dos reyes y los dos labertinos. So that'd be the history of <laughs> the two kings and the two labyrinths. And then attributed to Re Richard Francis Burton, he's putting it in the context of this is another Arabian Nights story, right? Now, the problem with that is it's not. It's written by Borges. Well, you, you, you mean, I, I know this, but you just want to mention that Burton is one of the famous translators of the Indeed. Arabian Nights. He, he, is, he is largely responsible for it being brought into English. And, um, and Scheherazade and her stories and all of these uh, wonderful, uh, the word like ghoul comes into English through these Arabian stories. And so we've got an Arabian story essentially here, but and he attributes it to Burton, but it's not by Burton. That's just a Borgesism, right? He likes to layer in sort of layers of falsity into his his stories, and this is very important, I think, because it it's a kind of intertextual um, layering that you see in uh, Borges appreciates in Lovecraft. Um, it adds a. a uh, sort of an authenticity to it. So in a story like um, the uh, Circular Ruins or um, well, there's one with a, a book that's circular. This, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Um, he attributes that to a... Uh, to think of the Library of Battle? Yeah, uh, no, it's the... Um, yeah, maybe it's the... I don't know. Because it has all the... It's got the 52 exits and it's got... Garden of Forking Paths. That's the one I'm thinking of. Garden of Forking Paths is translated by Donald E. A. Yates, um, but it also has a saying it's taken from the journal of a, of a World War I um, person, a soldier, and it's, it's just... Also it, published in English originally in an Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Yeah, it's, it, like it's, it's crazy. He's got like these incredible layerings of detail and authenticity for a falsity, and I think that's all important because, you know, labyrinths are really his thing, and he's made one for us. In a very simple one-page story, there is a lot of depth. Agreed. Maybe uh, we should read it and then uh, talk about why it is deceptively simple and why it's actually probably a little more complex <laughs> than it appears. Okay, um... It's a little hard to shuttle back and forth between the Spanish and the English, but let us say at least this. The Spanish title, the original Spanish title, is Una Leyenda Arabiga, okay, an Arab or Arabic legend, and then parenthetically, Historia de los Dos Reyes e los Dos Labyrinthos, uh, the story of the two kings and the two labyrinths, Como Nota de Burton. Uh, which could mean, uh, as is noted by Burton. Mm -hmm. um, but in English, it's just called The Two Kings and the Two Labyrinths. So uh, I mention that because Una Leyenda Arabiga tells us which of the two ethnic groups we are concerned with here in giving the title. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the two are not inherently equal. The Two Kings and the two labyrinths. Men whose word may be trusted, 
but Allah knows more, relate that in the early days there was a king of the islands of Babylon who gathered together his architects and magicians and ordered them to construct a labyrinth so perplexing and so subtle that prudent men would not venture to set foot in it, and those that did would become lost. This creation was a scandal, for confusion and marvel are properly operations of God and not of man. With the passing of time, there came to his court a king of the Arabs, and the king of Babylon, in order to make fun of his guest's simplicity, had him enter the labyrinth, where he wandered ashamed and humiliated, until the setting of the sun. Then the king of Arabia begged divine succor and came across the exit. His lips uttered no complaint, but he said to the king of Babylon that in Arabia he had a better labyrinth and that, God willing, he would make it known to him one day. Then the king returned to Arabia, called together his captains and his lords and overran the kingdom of Babylon with such bright fortune that he destroyed its palaces, defeated its peoples, and captured the king himself. He tied the king of Babylon on the back of a swift camel and led him to the desert. They rode for three days, at the end of which he said to the captive, O king of time and substance and great presence of the century, in Babylon it was your will to lose me in a labyrinth of bronze with many stairs and doors and walls. Now the Almighty has seen fit that I should show you mine own labyrinth in which there are no stairs for you to climb, no fatiguing corridors for you to explore, nor walls to block your way. Then the king of Arabia untied the cords and abandoned the king of Babylon in the middle of the desert, where he died of hunger and thirst. And then we have this missing sentence, um, which goes, Glory to him who does not die. Now, <laughs> I'm assuming that the H in him is capitalized. Glory to him who does not die. Not having seen the original... I can't say, and uh, I can't trust, but I think that makes a difference. Um, but I think the story works without that last line. It just helped me notice something uh, about, you know, how many times God comes up in this, or uh, epithets for God. And of course, God itself is an epithet, right? It's not the actual word of the name of the dude. Um, but we've, what we do have is um, a title that tells us that there are two kings and there are two labyrinths. But um, given that at least one of these uh, kings is a king of reality, <laughs> um, I'm starting to think maybe that we can read the title as uh, one of these guys is not a king. Um, the, there are only three characters in the story, uh, or two, depending on how you count and how you think. Um, but, um, it starts with that sentence, men whose word may be trusted, but Allah knows more, relate that in the early days, there was a king of the islands of Babylon who gathered together his architects and magicians and ordered them to construct a labyrinth so perplexing and so subtle that prudent men would not venture to set foot in it. And those that did would become lost. Um, another translation I've seen of uh, rather than lost is lose their way. 
And I think that that would be a better one for my comprehension of one way of reading this story, which is this king of Babylon lost his way for for apparently no good reason. He decided to offend a neighboring king who took offense, got the help of God in escaping this labyrinth, uh, didn't say, I'm going to make you pay for this, but rather, I'd like you to visit my labyrinth one day. And then, instead of gathering up his architects and magicians and making a labyrinth, he called together his captains and his lords and decided to invade <laughs> the neighboring kingdom, um, make a captive of this king, and show him his labyrinth, which is the desert, or perhaps the world itself. <laughs> and um, I don't get the sense that our um, our king of Arabia, our, uh, sorry, our king of uh, Babylon, is going to be able to invoke God's help and escape this labyrinth in the desert at the end. So there's a lot going on just in figuring out what's going on. But it also seems very simple. It's a it's a revenge story. Hmm. But whose revenge? Yes. <laughs> yes it's, well, <laughs> I it is a revenge story, sure. Um, and and I like your notion that there's a lot of God talk in here, mm-hmm. and I also like your notion that maybe the labyrinth is the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'd like to focus on some other. Some supplementary things. Mm-hmm. Um, men whose word may be trusted. That's interesting to me because um, um, it, it says um, in Spanish uh, that men uh, who are worthy of faith um, tell the story that. Um, in English, this is more complicated because in the spanish it's quite clear we mean that it's okay to believe these men mm-hmm. they are telling the story truly even though allah knows more whereas in english men whose word may be trusted um could mean that we can trust them or it can mean these are men whose word is trusted but of course men's word should not be trusted because Allah knows more. Mm-hmm. So th- that ambiguity is missing in the, uh, in the Spanish. Um, let me remind you of something I've, I've mentioned before uh, when we've discussed the Borges. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him on a small number of occasions. And at one of them, I was in a group. He was asked, <coughs> excuse me, he was asked, um, what he thinks about having his stories translated. It's important to remember that he knew English so well that, in fact, he taught um, Old English uh, at the University of Texas. Um, he, you know, he was quite a scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that he was incredibly fortunate because his work was known only in the Spanish-speaking world until it was translated by 
in, into English. She had in mind Donald Yates, but by the time I met um, met Borges, he had other translators as well. Mm-hmm. He said, I was so fortunate that my translators made my work even better than I did. <laughs> and I take him at his word there. I believe that the additional ambiguities that we see sometimes in um, English versions of Borges' work, given his uh, attachment to labyrinths and puzzles and things going in within things, within things, within things, I believe that his attachment to those additional levels of meaning that the translators made available is legitimate. Mm-hmm. So while we have the Spanish here, uh, I'd like to to think about the English. So we have this, but Allah knows more, and he does know more than men. Um, What is it that he knows? He knows what is missing to men. So I'm going to suggest something about that missing last line. I think that missing last line is one of those things that made the story better. Mm -hmm. Okay, now... As you were reading it, that missing last line, glory to to one who does not die, mm. uh, it reminds us that the glory is to God. And so this seems to be spoken from the uh, standpoint of the uh, the Arab uh, who says, you know, Allah knows better. So the narrator is on the Arab side of all this, and it is called in Spanish, of course, an Arabic legend. But Borges knew a lot more than just... Uh, Islam. So he says, uh, there was a king of the islands of Babylon. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know about Babylon's hanging gardens. Mm-hmm. I know that Babylon was built on both sides of the Euphrates with mm-hmm. steep banks. But I don't ever remember coming upon the islands of Babylon. So maybe this is entirely a fictional fable that he's made up. That mm-hmm. is whoever tells the story. Uh, and he ordered them architects and magicians So it's not just a physical labyrinth, it's a psychological labyrinth, Mm -hmm. one that fools the mind, to construct a labyrinth so perplexing, okay? Now, this creation was a scandal, for confusion and marvel are properly occupations of God and not of man. That is, however man is mentally, to, to offend that, to make it that things fuse together and become indistinguishable, to create things that we we cannot understand. They are marvelous. That's what God does, and man should not do it. That's a scandal. Well, there are two touchstones for me that come from that idea that man should not do what God is has in his province. One of them is a once upon a time famous book called The Religion of Our Literature by George McCry published in 1817, uh, sorry, 1875. And it has individual chapters on individual authors who write fantasy, one of whom is George MacDonald. George MacDonald is now not that famous, but was, in fact, probably the second most um, important children's author of the 19th century in England um, after Lewis Carroll. He wrote two fantasies for adults, Lilith and Fantasties. I won't go into detail about them, but the point that McCry makes is this. McCry was a minister. That when you read 
McDonald's fantasies. McDonald, by the way, also was a minister, but um, he lost his congregation because he had views that were too liberal. Mm. Um, when you read um, McDonald's adult fantasies, in your heart, you automatically say, this is true. Mm-hmm. You, just, you can't help it. It's not, a, it's not a, a, an intellectual interpretation. In your heart, your spirit is moved to say, to affirm the truth of that text. And according to McCry, only God's texts <laughs> are allowed to move us to immediate affirmation. And so, as much as McCry um, praises the writing of McDonald's texts, he condemns McDonald. <laughs> I think that's what's going on here. Yep, right. I agree with you. That, that was a uh, that was quite a divergence, but I I now see why you brought up that story. Okay, and there, you will see there's another diversion that I hope will work for what you said about the ending. Okay, so mm-hmm. we have this labyrinth. And in fact, and I, I won't say much about this, I'd, I'd rather turn the, the, the court back to you uh, soon, Jesse. Um, the, the labyrinth that the Arab king creates is one in which th- that God has created for him. Hmm. That is, it has not been man who created this labyrinth. Man has just discovered it and put it to use. God made the desert. And it is his own labyrinth because uh, God wills it. Now, um, as I say, Borges knew a lot. The English translation here is God willing. Mm -hmm. The Spanish word for God willing is inshallah, which every Spanish speaker, at least educated Spanish speaker, as Borges was, knows is a direct lift from Arabic. Right? Inshallah. Um, sorry, is Spanish, is Arabic for if God wills it, inshallah. Mm-hmm. The Spanish is ojalá. I misspoke. It's, it's ojalá. But in fact, Borges didn't write ojalá in Spanish. He wrote, si Dios era servido, if God will be served. So again, Yeats has entered more ambiguity and deeper um, references into the story. Because by putting it in English, someone who knows Spanish would believe that, in fact, Borges has written this with a direct allusion to Arabic. But, in fact, in Spanish, he doesn't. Yeats has made it better. Now, it is his own, his own labyrinth, and I will stop soon to let you talk about <laughs> that, I hope. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want to say. That story that McCry says about MacDonald, he's not unique. In the 12th century, Moses Maimonides, otherwise known as Maimonides, and sometimes by the acronym Ramban, Rab Maimonides Ben, uh, Ben, uh, uh, oh gosh, Maimon, right, um, famously talked about what is called the central prayer of Judaism, the Shema, which is witnessing. Um, the Shema is that written on a scroll and in a mezuzah, that that thing you see on the doors of going in and out of Jewish households and sometimes even from room to room. It's a little plaque that gets nailed to a door frame. Well, it's it's not a plaque. It's actually hollow. 
and inside it there's a scroll written but yes it's nailed to the door frame um that uh that's that prayer has a certain number of has as parts to it that come from torah and the parts have a certain number of words maimonides added three words to it i'm going to say it in the non uh, i'm going to say it in the secular way okay um, uh, okay um hashem uh elohechem emet um hashem would have been a different word if i were praying um, it means it's hard to translate Hebrew because it doesn't use quite the same kind of syntax we do out of context, uh, but it, it can mean God is true or our God is one. Okay. Now, Maimonides was a trained physician, and people criticized the addition of those three words to the Shema. The central plural, you're supposed to say it when you get up in the morning, first thing, and when you go to sleep at night, last thing. But what Maimonides said was, if you count the number of words in the Shema, and you have three more, they will be the same number as the number of bones in the human body. <laughs> which was true by the way in which it was counted in the 12th century. But you wouldn't say that without those three words. But how can you possibly alter the Shema? Because, Maimonides says, I am not altering it forever. When anyone ever uttered the Shema, in their soul they always said, <laughs> Hashem Elochechem Emet. <laughs> so what, La what Borges did by saying those, three, those words, La Gloria Sea Con Aquel Que No Muere, a glory to he who does not die, that made it explicit. But what Yeats did by removing it was to make it implicit that when you see that the king of Babylon in the middle of the desert died of hunger and thirst, you immediately should say, all glory to God. You would see the truth of this fable, this leyenda Arabia, Arabigo. And I think, again, what Yeats has done is utterly enrich a tale that was already extraordinarily rich you got it you got it uh the uh, editorial introduction uh by anthony boucher for uh Alec Green's mystery magazine says some critics are predicting that jorge luis borges will become one of the big literary names of our time um, and this is kind of funny because it's a one-page story, right? <laughs> yes. He's not big because he's he's written these big novels that everybody's reading. He's big because he's so small. <laughs> and he does so much. And um, there are, uh, there's a lot of depth to what's going on. I, I want to uh, scroll down the page a little bit, too, um, after he's destroyed the Babylon, Babylon's castles and uh, captured the king and tied him to a, to a back of a swift camel, a, a.k.a. a ship of the desert, right? Um, right. Taking him away from his islands um, of Babylon, taking him into the desert. Uh, it says, They rode for three days, at the end of which he said to the captive, and I, I if I was filming this, I would be very 
focused on cinematography and what the actor is doing with his eyes while he says these words as he sees this he's looking at this king tied to the back of a camel right mm-hmm. um O king of time and substance and great presence of the century and these are all capitalized king time substance great presence of the century in babylon it was your will to lose me sorry to lose me in a labyrinth of bronze with many stairs and doors and walls now the almighty and that's capitalized has seen fit that i should know i should show you mine own labyrinth and this is um he's not claiming that he created this labyrinth but rather it is the one he knows i think in which there are no stairs for you to climb nor fatiguing corridors for you to explore nor walls to block your way and then he unties the king and uh, leaves him in the desert where we're told he dies of hunger and thirst um Right from the beginning, when he gets out of that uh, labyrinth that this uh, Babylonian king has built, uh, or had built by his architects and magicians, he says, I too have a labyrinth. Um, and if, if it is God's will, I will show it to you one day. Um, so he already knew what labyrinth he was talking about. He saw the world differently than the king did. Uh, the, that is, the Arabian king sees the world differently than the Babylonian king does, who lives in the city, who creates massive architectural feats that, as you say, are a scandal to creation, for uh, confusion and marvel are properly the operations of God and not man. The Babylonian's king, the Babylonian's king's labyrinth is complex. It's, uh, I picture it like an Escher sort of labyrinth where it's designed not to just wear out your legs and make you uh, double back, but to deliberately confuse you. And the way our, uh, I don't want to say hero, but our, our Arabian king gets out of it is not by his, his innate wit, but rather his innate piety. He prays for guidance from God. And at the sunset, is given it. When he gets out, he takes he he returns not to his court uh, of architects and magicians, but returns to his court, uh, which is made up of captains and lords, and has them gather their weapons and their armies and invade Babylon to show this Babylonian king that the world, I think, the world the labyrinth of the world is simple and not complex. If you don't have food, if you don't have water, if you're in the desert and have no camel, you're dead. Mm -hmm. A lot more complex than, in a certain sense, than the one created by a fool. Why would you take a neighboring king and put him in your labyrinth and then if your intention was not to kill him but just to humiliate him, that's a mistake and so there's a kind of a humbleness to the i mean this is all what we read into it right the humbleness of the arabian king versus the um impiety of the babylonian king and notice these are all allah right this is definitely told from the arabic point of view given that the it's coming from the arabian nights right supposedly 
um, this is this is not about uh, the Babylonian religion. This is about the Arabic religion, and more importantly, about Allah and being His servant and knowing your place. And yet, when we read that that final quotation, he says, "O King of time and substance, and great presence of the century." I don't think he's talking only about to to this guy on the back of the camel tied up. I think that that's actually quite the opposite. O king of time and substance and great presence of the century. I think he's talking to God and saying it to to the uh, Babylonian king. And then he sort of turns his eyes away from the sky and at, in my view, and at the king of Babylon and says, in Babylon, it was yours. Now, he's still talking to God, right? It was your will to lose me in a labyrinth of bronze with many stairs and doors and walls. Now, the Almighty, and again, he turns his eyes to to the sky, right? He's still talking to God, but he's saying it to the captive. He has no um, respect for him, but he's going to teach him respect in the labyrinth. This is very cold and clever writing. I, I just, I think it's a lot more complex than it first appears. Agreed. I, I noticed that it is built um, it, from the very title, The Two Kings, The Two Labyrinths. Mm-hmm. It's built with um, contrasts. Uh, those islands of Babylon, which I don't know anything about, um, mean that the king of Babylon lives in a land surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. Which is the exact opposite of the king of Arabia, who lives in a land surrounded by desert. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also the case that the, ba- the labyrinth of the king of Babylon is made by men, or humans, whereas the labyrinth of the king of Arabia is made by God. It's also clear that the, that the, um, the king of Babylon thinks that it is important to be able to overpower others. Mm-hmm. Whereas by humbling himself to God, the king of Arabia, in fact, is God's instrument for humbling man. Um, this story is in many ways um, a devout Islamic story. Yeah. And Islam itself, of course, as, as we all know, um, means submission. And it is through his submission that the king of Arabia is able to escape the first labyrinth and then demonstrate the power of God's own labyrinth so that the glory is not to the king of Arabia, who, you know, but to he who does not die. But of course, if we read the story deeply, we should know that because even though the story ends where Yeats had it end, the English translator, as Borges clearly knew, there was always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash 
SFF Audio.